0: You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 1030 a.m. on Sunday mornings. My name is Stan. I'm the youth pastor here at Cypress Church. If you don't know me, I work with the high school and junior high kids. Uh, And this morning, I have the opportunity to come speak to you guys, and we're going to be in Psalm 19. So if you want to open your Bibles up to Psalm 19, if you don't have a Bible this morning, you can raise your hand right now, and the ushers will bring you one, and you can just, you know, that's a loaner today, you leave that on the seat, and if you need a Bible because you don't have one, Right after the service, what you can do is you can just go out these doors right here, turn right, and at this desk right here, or maybe it's this desk over here, I don't know, one of those desks, someone will get you a Bible, and that's yours to keep, and you can just use that uh, to your heart's content. We are in a series right now where we are talking about idolatry uh, through the life of David and through his teachings, and I'm sure that that's a word that doesn't come up in your vocabulary all that often unless you work here at Cypress Church, you know, unless you're Maybe playing a lot of Bible Scrabble, you know, probably idolatry is not something that comes up for you all that often. But idolatry is basically a way of understanding sin. Normally, the way we understand sin and how we deal with sin is that we make a list and we put things on the list and we say, you know, don't lie, don't swear, don't look at pornography don't murder anyone. Hopefully some of these are easier to accomplish and check off the list than others. If you're struggling with making through the week uh, not murder, not murdering anyone, those emails can be directed to Mike. You know, he is happy to counsel you through that. That's a little bit above my pay grade. But in the system of the list, all that you have to help you with the list is putting more things on the list. And most of us fail at crossing things off the list. You know, when we judge our entire spiritual health, about how effective we are at keeping the list, but there's no other tools in the list system. Idolatry is a completely different paradigm. The way idolatry works is it starts with the idea that we have longings in our heart. We have longings for things like security and peace and significance and the kind of things that are talked about in the devotional. And we're told that those things can be found in a relationship with God. That is the promise that God gives to us, is that he will fulfill our longings with his relationship with us. But what ends up happening is that sin convinces us that those longings can be found in other things that are not God, also what are called idols. And so we turn to those idols and we hope that they'll give us the longing, and then those outward sins tend to flow out of that idolatry, and that's the issue. And so when you start to understand things this way, it changes the questions. Instead of saying, what should be on the list, we start asking ourselves, what is my heart really looking for, and why do I believe That this thing that's not God will give it to me. And then you start asking those questions, and you start getting to the root of the issue, and then you start to say, oh, what about God do I know that tells me that he'll give me that longing, and how can I trust in him? And as you start to put your faith there, then you start to see the longings fulfilled, you start to see the idols removed, and when the idols are removed, then also those outward list type sins are also removed. And so what we're doing in this series is that we're looking at different attributes of God through David's life and through David's teachings, and learning how those different attributes of God are going to fulfill those longings that we're ultimately looking for. So two weeks ago, Mike talked to us about God's love, and last week, Justin talked to us about God's sovereignty, and this week, I'm going to talk to you guys about the idea of God's revelation. And revelation, beyond just being the last book of the Bible, is the concept that God reveals himself to us. He makes himself known to us in multiple different ways. And I'm going to give you an introduction to that this morning. So like I said, Psalm 19. It would be helpful if I was there as well, because that's what I said you guys should be at. So here we go. We're going to read verses 1 through 6 to start. It says, Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Right there at the start of the psalm, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the word there for God in Hebrew is the word El. And El is the most generic name for God. It, you know, le- it literally just means God. And they even use it to describe gods of other nations. So it's the most generic way that you can learn about God. And what David is saying is that, look, when you look at creation, there are going to be things in creation that point you towards God. You can know God generically, through his creation, because, you know, all of us have been there. We, you know, look at, you know, the mountains, we look at, you know, the stars, and we start to ask questions. Oh, what must God be like? Or why, this, how did this get here? You know, and we start to ask those kinds of questions. You go to Hume Lake, even though it's a man-made lake, you start saying, oh, God must be somehow in this, you know, and we start to realize those things, and creation causes us to ask those kinds of questions. But it can only take us so far. You're not going to get any real facts about God beyond what the creation can tell you. You can say, okay, there's this tree. This tree's a really complicated thing, but that's where it stops. You know that there's a God in it somehow, but you can't go anywhere beyond that, which then we get to verses 7 through 11, and it says this. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warmed. In them is ke- in keeping them there is great reward. You'll notice at the start of this section of the psalm, David calls God Lord, and in your Bible it probably has all the letters capitalized. And what that means is that in Hebrew, what they're saying there is that this section was written down having God's proper name Yahweh. You know, Yahweh is God's most intimate name. It is his personal name. It is the name that actually when he was going through the Old Testament and in Genesis, he's reaching out to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the guys who are the fathers of the nation of Israel. God actually doesn't tell them that that's his name. He says, they only get to know me as El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. But then when you get to the Exodus and you get to Moses' time period and then everyone there from beyond that, God says, you're going to know me as Lord. They're going to only know me as God Almighty. You're going to know me by my personal, intimate name. And then from there, God even says, you know, whenever he makes a promise to someone, he says, the reason that you know that something is going to take place, that you can trust me, is because my name is Yahweh. That's the seal. That's the promise. That's the down payment, is that the Lord is in it. And you'll notice that what David is saying here is that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And what he's getting at is that basically in this section, he says, look at the Lord. When you start to know him personally, life change starts to happen for you. When you start to know God through his word, through his testimonies, through his precepts, through all these different ways that you can know him, but you know him by Lord, you're no longer knowing him just generically in creation, you're actually knowing him in an intimate sense, in a personal sense, life change is going to happen for you. Things are going to flow out of that relationship. And so what we're going to do for the rest of this morning is I'm just going to cover verse 7. i got way too much to say, and I'm not going to pretend like last sermon that I gave wasn't 45 minutes. So I'm just going to do verse 7, and it's going to be an intro to this idea. The rest of these verses you're going to have to cover on your own. We've got a lot of tools. Mike said we've got a devotional. We've got small group questions. If you're anti-small group, you can still take the questions and have a small group of just one and just do them yourselves. Those things are available to you. But I encourage you to study this on your own. So that being said, verse 7 it says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. What David, said, what David means by law is that he's referring to the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis through Deuteronomy, because that's what was referred to as the law. But in a poetic sense, is what he's saying is God's word revives the soul. And so for us, we have more than just those first five books. We can say all of Scripture. And the point is that all of Scripture is going to revive our soul because of its message. There is a Reap what you sow concept taught in scripture. Basically, scripture teaches us that there are two paths in life. And one path leads to death and one path leads to life. And the way that leads to death is the way that leads, uh, that trusts idols and trusts other things that are not God for your longings, for your satisfaction. And they always are going to lead to death. So in Old Testament terms, what this looks like is that there is this people group called the Amorites and they have a God named Molech. And Molech promises good crops, healthy animals, security from other nations, uh, or safety from other nations, and those are things that we would call peace and security. But Molech is pictured as two bronze hands uh, as an altar. And he says, if you want those things, here's what you've got to do. You have to take a fire and heat, them, heat the fire under my hands, and then my hands are going to burn red hot. And then what I want you to do is I want you to take your infants and put them on the red hands, and if you do that for me, then I'll give you the good crops. Then I'll give you the, the healthy animals. Then I'll give you the safety from the other nations. And we can start to see, yeah, that's, bri- that's bringing death. There's, that's very obvious because it's bringing death in life. But that's going to do something to our soul, too, which also brings death. And they saying, God's saying, in Scripture, there is another alternative to this. The other alternative is trusting me and leading, or living your life for me, trusting me for those longings, seeing what I'll do for you. And that's given to us through the cross. The gospel message is that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins. And that does two things. It pays the penalty for our sins that we should have paid, but then it also enables us to have a relationship with God. And we have that relationship when we make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of our lives. And so when we start to make him the Lord and Savior of our life, we start to see those longings fulfilled. And we start to see how God uh, meets us where we're at and starts to revive our soul. And this idea is very clear when we start to understand or when we, you know, this whole reap what you sow, the path trusting God leads to life, the path... Uh, trusting idols leads to death, becomes very obvious when someone's sins are very outward and have lots of consequences, you know? No one is looking at their heroin addiction and their affair and saying, man, this has just brought so much life to me and my family. We're so much better off because I'm addicted to heroin and I'm cheating on my wife and all that kind of stuff. No, everyone sees all the consequences of that. Everyone sees all the problems of that and all the pain it causes, but then when someone gives that up, they start to see, oh, now I see the life that is being given to me. There's a Christian author named Anne Lamott, and she talks about how you know, before she was a Christian, she's addicted to all these different things, and on her Saturday nights, she would just you know, take as many pills as she could, drink as much alcohol as she could, and she would just pass out, honestly hoping that she wouldn't wake up in the morning. And she always would, and so what she would do on Sunday morning is she'd go for a walk, and she'd start to sober up on that walk, and she'd pass by this little Methodist church, and she could hear them singing hymns, and eventually she said, I should go inside and see what that's all about. And she said when she went inside the grace in the air of the community of the church started to revive her and nourish her soul. And she said that was what ultimately began to nourish her both back to life in a physical sense, but also back to life in a spiritual sense. The law of the Lord is reviving to us. It's going to bring us back to life. Now that's you know, one extreme example of, of these idols playing out. You know? But most of us don't have idols like that. Most of us have idols that are a lot more subtle. So let me give you an example of this. Uh, when I graduated, I was 21, and I was offered a job at a church in Ohio to be a junior high pastor. And so I moved out there. And probably the biggest cultural difference that I noticed about Ohio, you know, I'm 21 at the time. Everyone else who was 21, 22 had already been married for like three or four years. And you start to get this sense, and you're like, "Wow, I'm really past my prime. You know, like, what did, <laughs> how, what did I do wrong? You know, I know I have a college degree, but you know, this doesn't seem to lining up. And then, you know, you start to start, start wondering. Why did all these people get married so young? You know, what, what is so different, you know, about their culture versus our culture? We're all Americans. Yes, they're in a red state and we're in a blue state, but that doesn't seem to be like the only difference. And part of what it came down to was that somehow along the way, the culture taught them to believe that your security, your self-worth, uh, your value can be found in knowing that you have someone who wants to be your spouse. And so many of these people got right out of high school and just got married and decided, yeah, at least I don't have anything else in life figured out. I'm living in my parents' basement, but at least I know I've got someone who wants to live there with me. You know, <laughs> And now, a bunch of my friends, you know, they're 25, 26, they're all going through divorces, and they're just wondering what happened. And you're saying, well, when you, you, as a sinful, broken person, take another sinful, broken person and expect them to do what only God can do for you, Why are you surprised that it's all falling apart? Why are you surprised that someone who's not God can't be your God? He can't, they can't do for you what you want God to do. Only God can do that kind of stuff. And I know that those of us on the enlightened West Coast would never rush into a relationship hoping that it'll solve all our problems. So let me give you another example. How many of us have ever felt like you've reached that point in your income level where you say, yeah, I have no, I never have to worry about any more money, I've got enough dollars to survive the rest of my life, you know, maybe you've reached a point where you say, well, I'm never going to buy any more clothes, you know, this is the guys talking, they, you know, just get the ones that they have and then they die in them, but the rest of us, you know, we're thinking, yeah, if I just made a thousand more dollars a a month, if I just made ten thousand more dollars a year, and then you start, you know, you get that promotion, but then you're saying the same thing again, because money for all that it can do for us and in all the blessings that it can bring is never going to provide satisfaction. It's never going to provide security because those things are actually only found in a relationship with God. That is the point. And so if you make relationships, money, any other good thing, a thing in your life that's supposed to be God, the pursuit of that is only going to breed death for you. It's only going to breed death for your soul and death in your life, literally. And God says the only Alternative to this is making him those things, making him the thing that you're trusting in, and that's going to bring life to you. That's going to revive you. Another really hard idol to deal with is sometimes our idols are simply that we're just making God into something that he's not really meant to be. We come up with false notions about God and we force him into those. You know, go to Barnes and Noble and then go to the Christian book section and you'll see, you know, over half the books are just about, hey, pray this prayer, God'll give you what you want. You know, name this thing, God will give it what, give you what you want. You know, you, you buy this thing, you rub the snake oil on your wallet, you know, all of a sudden, you know, money starts multiplying out of your wallet somehow. You find a hundred bucks, you know, elsewhere. It's all about that kind of stuff. And we come up with these sayings, like, God will never give you more than you can handle. You know, God, you know, safest place to be is in his will. But then you start reading scripture and you start looking at it and you say, wow, the people who are at the center of God's will they don't seem very safe. You know, a lot of them are dying, you know, especially Jesus. You know, the guy who's <laughs> most in line with God's will, that person doesn't seem to have a story that turns out all that well. And so, you're wondering, what is going on? Is, what is wrong with the sayings, or what is wrong with scripture? And the answer is, nothing's wrong with scripture. There's something wrong with the sayings and these beliefs that God is like this. Let me put this in real terms for you. Uh, my story arc for the last eight months. So, Last May, somehow, I don't know how this happened, I got volunteered to preach on what it's like to be single. I don't know how I drew that straw, but you know, somehow or another, I got that. Like a month later, I started dating this girl. And it was getting pretty serious. Serious enough to make it into sermon illustrations, apparently. <laughs> Still also don't know how I drew that straw. So, <laughs> seeing a pattern here at this church. Um, so, over Christmas, so we have been dating six months, things were getting pretty serious, and over Christmas, I got dumped. You know, and I know, single tier. So, <laughs> in terms of sermon illustration points, what you need to know, I didn't see it coming, and there weren't a lot of clear explanations as to why it happened. And so, where I found myself in January was being really frustrated with God. And I found myself saying, God, if you love me, how come I'm not getting what I want? You know, God, you say you have a plan. I don't like this plan. Or maybe you don't have a plan. You know, the plan that I thought we were on, I was down with that plan. This new plan, I'm not really into. You know, and saying, God, you know, I do all these great things. Why am I not getting, you know, why aren't you owe me? You should be giving me what I want because I've, you know, I've read my Bible every day. You know, I've prayed. I run a youth ministry that's not awful. You know, you should be giving me (laughs) what I want. And because all of us like it that God doesn't count our good deeds and bad deeds until it means that you can't cash in your good deeds for what you want, right? We've all been at that point. And in those statements that I'm making, you know, the problem does not lie in God. The problem lies in what I like God to be. I want God to be a God who operates under normal accounting principles. I pray, I get what I want. You know, I tithe my 10%. That means that my 90% always is enough, you know, there's never any extra month at the end of the money, you know, and I have plenty of time, or, you know, plenty of money to do whatever I want, you know, all, you know, I get the Ferrari, you know, whatever. That's how I think about these types of things. I read my Bible every day, no one in my life ever gets sick. And we all do this. We all, you know, our American version of Christianity is focused around that. It's focused around managing the risk and getting God to give us what we want. And that's not what God has actually offered to us. What God offers to us is a relationship where he says, I am going to systematically remove every idol from your heart and therefore causing you to trust me and me alone. And I'm going to take you through this process where you only can trust me, where you're put in places where you only are able to trust in me. And in that trust in me, you will be living a life entirely of faith. And the real longings of your heart will be redefined and they'll be met in me. And that's the good news that God promises to do for us. And realizing this is going to be one of the hardest, but also the best things that we can do as individuals, but also as a community, because deep down we all know our idols have enslaved us. You know, we've tried to get away from them; we can't get away from them. You know, we trusted them for all these things; they've only broken us more. And the real freedom and the real satisfaction only actually comes in that relationship with God. And you know, let me tell you: when you start praying, okay, God, I'm sick of this idol it's not working out, I've realized how it's not helped me, remove it from me, you know, or you start praying, God, give me a deeper relationship with you. Life is going to get crazy, you know, things are going to start falling apart, things are, you know, the stuff's going to hit the fan, and you're going to go, what is happening? I, you know, I, I thought this would be an easy thing, because what's happening is that you're taking the thing that you've tangibly been trusting in, the thing that you actually can control, and you're giving it up in favor of a thing that is of faith, You're giving up the tangible idol, the thing that you can actually hold in your hand and saying, God, I'm no longer going to trust in that. I'm going to trust in you. And you can't even see what he's going to do. And that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us, which brings us to the second part of the verse. It says, the testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom, well, first, wisdom is described as having skill in living, okay? So you need to keep that definition in mind. And when it comes to the book of Proverbs, the wise person is described as the person who is righteous and follows God's will. But the foolish person is the person who ignores God's will and lives wickedly. And the other key definition in there is testimonies. Testimonies are simply the stories of what God is doing in the lives of his people. So in the book of Job, Job is a guy who's suffering. And in Job 28, he says, we have mines to mine silver. We have mines to mine gold. Where does one go to mine wisdom that I can make sense of my life? The answer is to the stories of what God is doing in the life of his people. Because I know so many of us are saying, okay, Stan, this is all great. It's great for you. Sorry that, you know, life is not the way you want it to go. This is not really what I want. This is not what I signed up for. I like a Christianity that's easy and safe and whatever. I'm not going to do this kind of stuff. I'm not going to embrace this, you know, dealing with my idols kind of thing. I like what they are. I'm happy with them. I, you know, I've given God all this. I'm going to hold on to this one thing. And that's all right. You know, the good news is that God loves you enough to take you the way he found you, but he also loves you enough not to leave you the way he found you. Again, Anne Lamott, she says, you know, most of her leaps of faith can best be described as lurches of faith, where someone pushed her off the cliff, and then she desperately tried to cling to the side. I think that's where most of us tend to find ourselves. Most of us are more in that category, where we're saying, yeah, I never leaped off the cliff, I just was forced off the cliff. And that's okay. God will push you off the cliff. He will get you to that point where you have to say, yeah, I have to, I I didn't do it willingly. I may, you know, later on when I'm telling people in a sermon, I did it willingly. But overall, I did not do it willingly, if I'm honest. Every biblical figure goes through three stages. God makes a promise to them. They spend years in the wilderness, either literal or figurative, most often literal. And then God gives them the promise. And David is the same thing. David is told that he's going to be the king of Israel. And so, you know, Saul has not done a good job, David's anointed king, and then from that point on, things seem to really start working out for David. You know, he wins a bunch of battles, you know, people start to, uh, you, know, you know, really trust in him, and put, he finds a lot of favor with the local people. Uh, he becomes BFF with the king's son, you know, so that's a good step. You know, he's got a seat at the king's table, and you can almost tell as you're reading it that David's thinking, oh man, this is going to be great. One day... Saul is just going to realize that he's an awful king, and he's just going to be like, David, you are so much better than me. Here, just I'm going to take off the crown, give it to you. You, know, you start ruling instead of me. And right when you start to get this, that sense that that's what David's thinking, that's the moment when Saul to, you know, completely turns on David, and he starts to feel threatened by him and starts to try and kill him. And David goes into the wilderness for four years. To the Hebrew people, the wilderness represented two things. On the one hand, it represented struggle. You know, it was a place where you had to, uh, you know, there was no resources, there was no safety, there were snakes, and, you know, they even thought that demons dwelled in the wilderness and all these kinds of things. It was a place of total unrest. But the other thing that the wilderness represented was it was where God spoke to people. So related were these concepts to the Hebrews that the Hebrew word for wilderness is midbar and the Hebrew word for voice and word was devar. They share the same root because to a Hebrew mind, they say, I need to hear God's voice. I'm going to go to the wilderness to find it. I need to hear God speak. He will be found in the wilderness. Or more commonly, I find myself in the wilderness. Therefore, I know God is going to speak to me. Therefore, I know His word is going to come to me. Therefore, I know He's going to guide me. Because in the wilderness, we learn how to trust and rely on God so that we can live out the call that He's placed on us. David has to spend four years in the wilderness so that he learns to be a better king of Israel. He has to learn how to trust in God. Not that he wasn't trusting in God before, but for all of us who trust in God where we're at, there's always more and greater trust that can be put into God later. And that's what happens with David. And we spend so much of our times as American Christians who are just consuming and hoping that God will give us what we want, avoiding the wilderness, avoiding those times of struggle and hardship and saying, yeah, I'm gonna stay as far away from that. But then at the same time, we say, yeah, I really wanna hear God's voice. I really wanna hear God speak. I really wanna you know, hear God tell me what to do, what's next. And God is saying, then come find me in the wilderness. If you won't come find me in the wilderness, I will put you in the wilderness. I will put you there and then I will speak to you. And the message is always the same trust and rely on me more. And in that, when you finally reach that point where you're trusting and relying on me more, you will be better prepared for that thing that I'm going to do for you. Because David still gets to be king. It takes four years. It's not the path that he thought would get him there. It's not the path that was the quickest path, but it's the path that God wanted him on. You know, the path never looks great looking forward. It never makes sense looking forward. It always makes sense looking backwards. It always is a path that we can say, oh, I see how I have a greater reliance and preparedness and trust in what God had me to do because preparedness to a Hebrew person is meaning that you're fully relying on God for what he's called you to do. And God wants us to be those kind of people. God wants us to make us a people of faith, people who say, I will walk in the wilderness, I will walk into the call, even though I don't know what's going to happen because God is with me. God is in there. What do we want to be? We want to be people of sight. The opposite of faith in the Bible is sight. We want to be people who can say, Yeah, I want God's 10-year plan, all the twists and turns. You know, I want to know what's going to happen and why things are happening. Because we say, yeah, if we had those things, we would have the strength within ourselves to keep going on. And that's missing the point. If you had the strength within yourself, then you're not trusting God anymore. You're trusting yourself, and you've made yourself the idol. And again, God wants to be the thing at the seat of your heart that says, I'm trusting in him alone. I've been put in these situations where I have nothing anymore except you, God. Help me. Help me walk. And what he does is he says, okay, take the next step. And when you've done that step, okay, take the next step. But it's always one step at a time. It's never, okay, this is how it's all going to work out. This is what you're going to do. But in those individual steps, they always amount to something more. They always amount to something greater. God never abandons us in the wilderness. You know, there's never someone, you know, Israel, even in their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, it was that their nation had to come to a point where God says, okay, now as a nation, you're ready to go into the promised land. It was part of that sanctification for that entire people group. But God never abandons us there. He never just lets people die in the wilderness. He always lets us deal with it. You know? And there's, you know, it's not easy. We have to reach those times of struggle and say, you know, if you read the wilderness psalms when David's in the wilderness, there are times where you're like, where David's saying, God, I'm supposed to be king. This is not what I signed up for. You know, King means throne, means gold, means you know, all these great things. I'm in a cave. None of the great things of being a king are in this cave, you know. So what happened here? But in reaching those ends of his rope, and he's forced to only rely on God and forced to only trust God for what God's going to do with him. Last story. I figured out that God wanted me to be to be a youth pastor when I was 16. Okay, so, you know, you figure that out in high school. I was able to make the rest of my, you know, high school and college and grad school and all that kind of stuff about being a youth pastor. And so when I was graduating, uh, I literally, the one and only job I applied to was that job in Ohio, you know, and I was, got, I was given it, and I thought, great, yeah, trust in God, God opened the door, this is great. So I'm moving to Ohio, the, and I'm supposed to be a junior high pastor. The week before I'm supposed to move to Ohio, they call me up, and they say, actually, we gave the job to someone else. If you want to be an intern, we can offer you an internship. And I said, okay, I know that God wants me there, I'm still going to come out. So I'm willingly walking into the wilderness in this situation. And I was there for a year and a half, and I was asked to run a college ministry, and I did that for that year and a half, and I faithfully served, and I learned a lot by going to this church in Ohio, and I grew a lot, and I'm a better pastor for it, so I'm not you know, discrediting that or whatever. But I thought, okay, now it's time to get back to youth ministry. Same situation is going to happen. I'm going to apply for the first job. Probably not going to take that one because I saw how that worked out. and use a little bit of wisdom to apply for a second job, and I'm going to take that one. So, you know, that's how I thought this was going to go down. Then I spent a year unemployed. Okay, so it's not exactly the quickest path. And while I was unemployed, I moved back to California, because that's where I grew up. And I started attending this church. And at this church at the time, uh, there was no youth pastor. Rich Fieger was the interim youth pastor, and he was running things. And I was asked to help out at a youth event. And so I went to the youth event, and I helped out. And as I was leaving, I said to Rich, yeah, let me know if you need anything else. I'm, I'll run around. And he said, do you mean that? And I thought, no, I didn't mean that. I just said that, you know, it's just a thing you say. <laughs> But I said to him, yeah, if you need something, yeah, let me know. And he said, well, I could use someone to come next Tuesday and lead a small group. Okay, I, I'm not doing anything with my life. I can come on Tuesday. <laughs> so I came Tuesday. Tuesday turned into a Sunday. Sunday turned into another thing, you know, and so on and so forth. You know how rich is. You always get committed to more than you thought you would. You know, that's just how it works here. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm starting to help out. I'm still applying at a lot of different places. I'm still, you know, whatever. Cypress opens the application process. I apply I don't get the job, spoiler alert, I'm still going to get the job. Uh, <laughs> but I don't get the job. Not really a big deal. I'm like, okay, God has a different plan for me. I'm looking for a different thing, or, you know, God's got a different thing for me. That's okay. And during this process, you know, so basically two things start happening. Cyprus starts going with a different candidate, and that starts to go one way. I start going, you know, through different applications and whatever. And eventually this Christian camp in the Northwest calls me, and they say, hey, you know, you didn't apply for this job. But we're a Christian camp. We started asking around to churches that go to our camp about uh, you know, different candidates or people at their church that might be able to do this job. And you know, we kept talking to all these churches and they said, "Man, yeah, there's a guy that applied. We didn't feel like he was good enough to work here, but you, know, <laughs> you might be able to use him where you're at. And I, and they said, so we're calling you. And I said, well, you know maybe this is what God's doing. Maybe I wouldn't have ever applied for a camp job, but now you know, this is what God's doing. So I prayed about it. But at that same time, my mom was going into minor surgery. Not a big deal. But when she went into the minor surgery, they discovered that she had stage four cancer. And they said, she's only got three months to live. And so I turned down that job, but then I found myself in the wilderness saying, God, what are you doing? Like, this is not what I signed up for. You called me to be a pastor. Why are the doors not opening up? Why are things not working out? Why am I the person who has to deal with this? And in that moment, God said to me, don't walk by sight and fear. Walk by faith. I will get you through this. I will get you to the other side. I have a plan. Trust me. Learn to rely on me. So I'm doing that. I'm, I'm, you know, at the end of my wit not knowing what to do, just going day by day. At Cypress Church, the guy that they thought was going to be a youth pastor decides he doesn't want this job anymore. And Mike and Rich find themselves in the wilderness and they went out to pray and they said, God, what are we supposed to do now? We put all our eggs in this basket. What are we supposed to do? And God said, go talk to Stan and Josh. You know, and that started the process of me working here. Now I've been here. I'm coming up on three years total. You know, one year as a volunteer, two years as youth pastor. And, you know, The path was not the straightest path. The path, you know, my version of the path, I get the job the first time it opens up, everything's great. The path I ended up on was not as quick as that, but it was a path that caused me to trust in God more, rely on him more, make me a better youth pastor, make me able to live out what he's called me to do. And that's what God wants to do for all of us. We spend so often trying to avoid the wilderness when we should embrace the wilderness because that's where God goes to reveal himself to us and where he goes to make us a people of faith and not a people of sight. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time. Lord, we are people who don't want to trust you, who don't want to live for you, but Lord, we know that you want us to live for you and that the good news is that you will cause us to live for you. I pray for all of us that we'd be willing to set aside our idols, but if we're not, Lord, that you would push us into setting aside our idols and that we would find ourselves in the wilderness so we can trust you more. In your name, amen.